As we begin our time in God's Word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we are in need. Lord, we have tried all sorts of different things in our lives to find rest, to find a restoration in our lives. Lord, we have tried, uh, maybe we have tried substances that would fill a void that we can't seem to fill. Maybe we have tried relationships. Maybe we have tried uh, just leisure and taking it easy and enjoying the things of this life. But yet, the little things in this life, they just don't seem to mean anything in the grand scheme of the world. Lord, we know that You have a greater purpose for us. Your greater purpose goes beyond our work. It goes beyond our leisure. It goes beyond our hobbies. It goes beyond anything else in this world. It goes to a life that is set upon a delight in You. And so, Father, we pray that as we study from Your Word today, that we would be drawn to find our true delight in You and You alone. And that we would be called through the Word of Scripture to worship You. Father, I pray that You would bless me, that You would give me the words to say that I might encourage and build up, and that You would take away those words that would distract or lead astray, and that all might be done for Your glory alone. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be back in the... the, uh, Scripture passage that we began this little sub-series on in the when and the where of worship. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 4 through 15, and then we'll flip over to uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. But just to remind you, we've been looking at uh, what worship is, and who it is that we worship, and why we worship. And now we've, we've spent some time answering the question of when and where we worship. And we looked at how we worship in our own personal lives. We've looked at how we worship in our family life. And now we're looking at congregational worship. So over the next two weeks, I want to set out to answer the question of when and where we worship as a congregation. And um, I'm going to answer that by the time and the place of congregational worship. So this morning, we're going to look at the time for congregational worship. And I have to be honest with you, I've been uh, anxious to address this issue. If you haven't been able to tell, a lot of what I've referenced in our Wednesday night study, and our Sunday night study, and even here on Sunday morning a good bit, has been a concern that I have For the fact that we as Christians have declined in our attendance of Sunday morning worship and that the world as a whole does not value worship. We've we've talked about how church attendance and church membership have declined precipitously over the last 20 years. We've talked about how the pandemic has affected that and accelerated the decline and how we just, number one, uh, uh, statisticians estimate that there were only about 32% of churchgoers who actually watched online church when we were all shut down. And we haven't up until recently seen a return to corporate worship as we have come out of the pandemic, thankfully. 
And so this is a, a real issue that we have as a church here in Georgiana and as a church in America. We have a real issue with church attendance. And this has developed, interestingly, this, this steep decline in church attendance has developed at the same time that churches have scrambled and tried everything under the sun to make churches more attractive. Uh, one striking example, and this is not, sadly enough, this is not atypical. Uh, this is a typical example of things that churches do nowadays to make themselves more attractive. There's a church called the Church of the Glades in Coral Springs, Florida, where the pastor, David Hughes, says that he will do anything and everything to keep your attention and to keep you from falling asleep in worship. They have gone so far at this church as to have a circus act during the worship service in which dancers sing Britney Spears' song Circus while performing and dancing on stage during a worship service. And not only that, they also, during this same worship service, had uh, performers that spit fire, acrobats that swung from the ceiling, and uh, acrobats that, that did the, the little gymnastic stuff where they stand on their hands and things like that. They did all of that to ge- keep people interested. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that's amazing. I wish we could do that here. And so I talked to Bill, and next Sunday, the choir is going to perform a rendition of Katy Perry's Roar. So we're, uh, we're going to adopt that same philosophy. No, I I think you can imagine, you know me well enough by now, we're not going to be doing that here at Antioch West Baptist Church. But as the saying goes, there's a famous saying that nobody really knows who said it first. There's a saying that goes like this. It says, what you win them with, you win them to. We have become so concerned with delighting our members that we have forgotten our delight for the Lord. We have forgotten that our God is loving and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We have forgotten that our God made us to find our delight in Him. And as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We have forgotten that the commands of God are good And they're meant to delight our soul. We have especially forgotten that when it comes to our weekly gathering as the people of God for the sake of worshiping Him. So over the next two weeks, we're going to look at and spend some time refocusing on our delight in our weekly congregational worship. And I want to answer that question by looking at the time and the place of congregational worship. So to start, let's look at the time for our congregational worship. When should we worship as a congregation? And to start, I want to begin with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 15. And let me just say before I get into the text today, there are going to probably be more questions than answers from this sermon today. And You can come and ask those tonight. You're welcome to do that. Or I know that I will not be able to get to all of the questions relating to our Lord's Day worship. 
but I would be more than happy to stay after church and talk to you or email or text or whatever it might be to help you work through this. But as we get into the text today, we're going to seek to understand the time and place of worship by looking at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 15. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, God's word says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full... Then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. So this morning, I want you to understand that God calls us to order our lives around the weekly worship of Him so that we might find rest for our souls. Let me say that again. God calls us to order our lives around the weekly worship of Him so that we might find rest for our souls. Now, it should be apparent as we've come back to this passage in Deuteronomy 6 that God's expectation for the people of Israel is that they would order all of their lives around their love for God. They would talk about the commandments of God all of the time when they rise, rise up and when they lay down, when they're sitting at the table. They would write the law of God on the doorpost of their house and on their gates. They would even, and this is metaphorical, but they would even tattoo it on their forehead so that they wouldn't forget about the law of God. And Moses gives this reason for why the people of Israel cannot Forget the law of God. And he gives it in verse 12. I want you to notice what he says in verse 12. He says that they need to do all of this so that they will not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The whole reason that they need to metaphorically or even physically put the law of God on their forehead and on their hands, and the reason they need to write it on the doorposts of their house is so that they won't forget when they get all of the things that God has blessed them with, when they get houses they didn't build, and cisterns they didn't dig, and vineyards they didn't plant, when they get all of that, they won't just sit down and relax and turn on Netflix and forget God. That instead, 
they will remember through the commandments of God who He is and what He has done. And one of the ways that God established that they would remember Him is through the fourth commandment, which is the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. So to see that, flip back with me to Deuteronomy 5, just one page over, to verses 12 through 15. And let's read again the the fourth commandment about the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, there are two components to the Sabbath commandment that we just read that I want you to notice that God gives to the people of Israel. First, the fourth commandment calls Israel to rest. In verses 13 and 14, the commandments calls Israel to work for six days, but to rest on the seventh day. Now this rest is rooted in creation. Remember that in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, it says that God, after God had created the heavens and the earth, that He rested from all of His work that He had done, and He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So the Sabbath day was meant to be a blessing. And Israel was called to do what God had done and to rest. And you know, just as an aside, let me say that it's an evidence of our sinful hearts. It's an evidence that we really are born in sin. That we would take something that God has given to us and made us for so that we would have a blessing, which is to rest and to enjoy God's goodness and to rest in Him, and we would make it a bad thing. It's a a sign of our own sinfulness that we would say, oh man, I can't do anything today because it's the Lord's day. I can't do anything today because it's the Sabbath. Can't get out and go anywhere because it's the Sabbath. It's a, a sign of our own sinful heart that we would find something that God intended for our good to be a chore. But God intended from creation for us to live in a pattern of six days of work and a day of rest. And He established that pattern Himself. He made us around that pattern. And so we are designed to rest because God has made us that way. This one day of rest was also meant to be a sign. God tells the Israelites in Exodus chapter 31 that they, this weekly pattern of rest is a sign of God's covenant. The fact that Israel took a break from their work to rest in God's provision would mark them out as different from the rest of the world. 
all of the pagan nations around Israel in this time, they worked seven days a week. They worked their fingers to the bone. They worked sun up to sundown, went to bed, got up the next day, went to work seven days a week, all year long. They might set aside just a couple of hours to go to the temple of their little God and offer sacrifices. But other than that, they went back to work. And when they did that, of course, bills ain't going to pay themselves. And they were betraying the fact that they did not believe in the God they were worshiping. They betrayed the fact that their little pagan God couldn't actually provide for their needs. But because Israel set aside one day out of every seven to worship God and to rest, it was a sign to the rest of the world that they actually believed that their God could provide for them. That if they stopped working, God didn't stop. God would still provide for their needs. And so... They were faithful to to observe the Sabbath day out of a testimony to the rest of the world. And the second aspect of the Sabbath is remembrance. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, notice that the command calls the people of Israel to remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out. The Sabbath day is a day to to remember through rest that God had redeemed His people from slavery. The people of Israel were part of another pagan land in Egypt and they were slaves in that land and they were forced to work seven days a week. And as a result of God's redemption, He brought them out and He gave them a day to rest so that they would remember the good grace of God in saving them from the land of Egypt. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, God states the commandment this way, Six days you shall work, uh, shall, shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Now that word convocation means an assembly. So God, in this command, is commanding that the people of Israel would gather together in their communities. They would gather together on the Sabbath to remember God's redemption for them in the land of Egypt. Yet in spite of the beauty of God's rest that is pictured in the Sabbath, the people of Israel did not value what God had given them. They failed to teach their children the ways of the Lord. They failed to faithfully keep His Sabbaths. And even when they did keep them, they brought in and incorporated the worship of other gods in their Sabbath convocations. So in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 8, God passes judgment by saying, You have despised My holy thing, and you have profaned My Sabbaths. Even the strict Pharisees of Jesus' day failed to understand the Sabbath that God intended. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus and His disciples are passing through a wheat field on the Sabbath day. And because the disciples were hungry, they reached over and they grabbed a few grain, uh, uh, heads of wheat and they sifted the grains and they ate the grains as they walked. And 
Oh, that was way out of line for the Pharisees. And so they condemn the disciples for eating, or not for eating wheat, but for sifting wheat on the Sabbath. Jesus responds to them in verse 7 by saying this, If you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, in that statement, claimed to have authority over the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he would call out, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? You know it. I will give you rest. The people of Israel had been so burdened by the rules and the regulations and the judgment of the Pharisees, that they no longer saw the good blessing of God in rest in the Sabbath day. They no longer saw it as a good thing. They no longer saw it as a blessing, but rather as a curse, as something that they had to worry about and to do. But Jesus calls them to come and to rest in Him to come and to find their rest in what He would do for them. Because there's a day in which Jesus worked. There's a day, one dreadful Friday, when Jesus would take a burden on His back. He would put a yoke of a cross on His neck and He would carry it up a hill to a place called Golgotha where He would die in the stead of sinners who had not rested in Him. His disciples would take His lifeless body, His torn body, and they would lay it in a tomb. And on the seventh day, the Lord of the Sabbath would rest. Yet, it is with the resurrection of Jesus that a new pattern of life Begins. After all, Jesus did not rise up on the seventh day. Jesus rose on the first. And in that resurrection, He began a new creation. Every time we find Jesus gathering with His disciples after His resurrection, we find that happening on the first day of the week. On the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered together and the Holy Spirit descended on them, that happened on the first day of the week. In throughout the book of Acts and the writings of Paul, we find that the church met on the first day of the week. Now they did that after the pattern of the Old Testament Sabbath. But they did it now, not rooted in what God had done in Israel, but what God had done through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, they started their week in worship and remembrance of what Jesus had done. And they called that day the Lord's Day. So I want to give you three ways that this Lord's Day, like the Sabbath, blesses us as a congregation. First, the Lord's day is edifying. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So just as the Israelites were called to keep the Sabbath day so that they would remain faithful, so that they would establish this pattern in their lives that would keep them in God's obedience and in faithfulness to Him, Christians are called to keep the Lord's day so that we will stir one another up. One of the things that we do when we gather together is we edify one another. We encourage one another. We help to keep one another in the faith. And brothers and sisters, I know there are a thousand other things that you could think you could better be doing right now or on any given Sunday morning, but you need to be here. You need to be here because your sanctification depends on it. You need to be here because your walk in Christ depends on it. You cannot walk in this life in faithfulness to the Lord on your own. And you can't do it just coming down the aisle, joining the church, and then leaving and trying to do it on your own, never to darken the doors of this church again. You must have this pattern of weekly worship where you are edified by the singing of songs and the prayers and the brothers and sisters that encourage you and the Word of God that is preached to you. You've got to have it to continue in faithfulness to Christ. Second, the Lord's day is exalting. Just as the Sabbath day was a sign to the nations that Israel was a part of, or was set apart by God, so too our faithful commitment to the Lord's day is a witness to this world. It is a witness of our dependence on Christ. Now you know the world thinks we're strange. They think we're weird for doing this every Sunday. They think it's weird and strange that a company that is owned by Christians will shut down for a whole day every week and sacrifice all that potential revenue that they could be making, making chicken sandwiches on the Lord's Day. They think it's odd that we, will, we won't come to ball practice and we, won't, and we think that we have to leave early from the river because we won't miss this day. That weirdness exalts Christ. And we should be glad to do it. We should delight in giving the Lord His day and looking weird to the world in our sacrifice of it. Lastly, the Lord's day, and here's a big word. I'm going to teach you what it means, but here's a big word, and I'll spell it for you if you're taking notes. The la- lastly, the Lord's day is eschatological. That's E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. Now, I, I, I hope that impresses you that I can even spell that. But eschatology, you might have heard of eschatology, the study of last things, the end of the world, that kind of stuff. The Lord's Day is eschatological. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works 
as God did from His. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. This day and every other day that we meet as a congregation, it looks forward to another day. The day in which God will gather together His people from every tribe and tongue and nation and they will stand before the throne of God singing, Worthy is the Lamb. This day ought to be filled with joy and singing and delight in the Lord because God has given us rest in Jesus Christ. There is a great day of rest that is still to come. And if we're going to make it to that rest, we need this day. We need a day every week to confess our sins. We need a day every week to hear the Gospel and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. We need a day every week for for. Uh, prayers for each other and for encouragement to each other and to see how God is at work in our midst. We need this day to look forward to that day when Jesus will make all things right and bring about our final rest. So in closing, I want to address the most common issue that I get regarding this doctrine of the Sabbath. I know there are a thousand questions that probably have come up as you have heard this sermon, but there's one question that dominates them all that I want to address in closing. And that is, what about my work? Now, I get this question a lot and I get this this statement offered a lot as the number one excuse as to why people can't be here for worship on Sunday is, Brother Nathan, I have to work on Sunday and I can't be there. And uh, maybe you can't be there because uh, you work in an oil rig or you serve as a fireman or you work on a on shift work. And let me start by saying that there are situations that are believable and acceptable for missing Sunday worship. And I'll get to those in a, in a bit. I'll talk about some of the ways that we can acceptably work on the Sabbath. But before I get to that, I do want to say something about illegitimate work on the Sabbath or on the Lord's Day. And what I'm going to say here, like I am prone to do, is going to be a bit radical. But I believe that it's time for us as a church to be radical. And so let me just give you uh, some times that I believe we illegitimately work on the Sabbath. I believe, yes, there are some times where we have to work for good reasons on the Lord's day. But I also believe that there are times when we keep ourselves busy. Or we choose to work, not because we have to, but because we want the extra money. I know of people who have plenty of money. They have money to eat, to have shelter, to have clothes. They have money to send their kids to school and they still work their fingers to the bone seven days a week, taking every opportunity for overtime, every opportunity for uh, whatever work they can get. And they do it not because they are providing for their family, but because they like the bass boat. They do it 
because, not because they, are, they have to, but because of the luxuries of this life. And I want to remind you from the example of the Old Testament that the people of Israel were called to depend on the Lord when, when for example, they were given manna from heaven. They were allowed to pick it up seven, uh, six days a week, but they could not pick it up on the seventh day. And they were promised that in the sixth day, God would provide enough manna for two days. Just like Chick-fil-A takes off on Sunday in reverence of the Lord's Day, we need to believe that God will provide for us what we need even if we're not working one day out of the week. We have to recognize, first of all, that our work can be a testimony of our disbelief in God because we're unwilling to sacrifice one day for Him. And so often... We do it not for the sake of our, our needs, but for the sake of what we want out of this life. Second, even if you absolutely have to work on Sunday, we have three different meeting times that we meet in, at this church. We meet on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I have never met a person who is so busy that they could not meet at least one of those times where we meet as a congregation. And third, if you do have that kind of work schedule, where you absolutely could not make it to any day of worship or any time of worship as a church here or anywhere, You may, and this is going to sound radical, but you may want to consider finding other work that will allow you to have a day of rest in the Lord. So along with work that takes up time away from our Lord's day, another trend that goes along with that is sports and leisure that keep us from the Lord's day. Now again, I said this last sermon, but I'll say it again. If you are practicing baseball when you should be observing the Lord's Day, you need to at least tell the coach that you're not going to make it on those days. And if that sport gets in the way of your worship service, then you need to consider not doing it at all. Second, and and this might sound a little harsh too, but let me just say, if your lake house or your side-by-side keep you from weekly worship, you need to sell it. It's just that simple. If there is something in your life, some material thing that is keeping you from committing to the weekly worship of the Lord, then get rid of it, whatever it is. Now with all that said, there are legitimate times when we will have to miss Sunday worship. If you're a first responder or a medical provider, the Bible explicitly endorses acts of mercy on the Sabbath. And there are times when you've heard the the saying, my ox is in the ditch, now don't go and use that for every single opportunity you got. But that is a biblical idea that there are times when you just have to work. There's just no other option. You've got something to do. You've got your job requires you to be 
at a specific time, uh, at a place at a specific time. It's not a normal requirement, but it has come up and you've got to do it. That's a legitimate uh, uh, time to miss. Or you uh, literally your ox is in the ditch. <laughs> you, uh, you might have to fix fence on a Sunday morning because the cows are out. There are times when that happens and those are legitimate excuses from worship. But don't let the cows get out every week, every week and, uh, as an excuse to ride your side by side. But, but even in those situations, I hope that you will plan to be at the Sunday evening service after you get off your work or plan to be at Wednesday night service. Make a plan around your time in congregational worship because it matters to you that much. Remember, God has not given us this day of rest for our harm. He has given it to us for our good. And if we will see it as a good, then it will be good to us. God has made us so that we might find our rest in Him. And we will not be satisfied until we do. We must order our weekly schedule around the Lord. Instead of fitting the Lord into our schedule, well, I'll see if I can make it to church if every other practice and event and schedule works out. Instead of doing it that way, we schedule God first and all the other things second. We must gather together to remember and rejoice in what the Lord has done through Jesus Christ. It is in that regular faithful worship of God's people that we glorify God together and look forward to the day when He will give us heavenly rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of this Lord's day. Lord, it is not easy in such a busy life, in such a busy world, to uh, set aside a day for anything. But we know that You, and we confess, that You are that important. So Lord, I pray that You would give us courage to stand against the trends of this world and to look weird and to look strange to this world because we will not sacrifice Your day for anyone else. Father, bless us as we go from this place. Bless our time as we worship through baptism and through our hymn of response. Father, may they be testimonies to You as well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.